Hey guys, welcome to episode 43 of The Green Life. Today's episode is all about communities, sharing, health, and we're going to talk about all these wonderful, juicy things with Nelson Campbell. Nelson is the CEO and president of Plant Pure Inc., as well as the son of Dr. T. Colin Campbell, as well as the husband of Kim Campbell, who was here on the show last week. Before we dive into the episode, I just want to give Nama Well a big shout out for the J2 Juicer, which you know I absolutely love. So I want you to fall in love with it too. So go into the show notes and grab 10% off. I also want to tell you that I have this wonderful holiday slash retreat coming up in Northern Portugal in May. And if you want more details about this one in a lifetime opportunity to visit the North part of this country, go into the show notes as well. Check out all the details on my page and then Reach out if you have any questions. I really hope to see you there. Okay, back to the episode. So we're going to talk to Nelson Campbell about all these wonderful things, community, Plant Pure, and all the documentaries that he's worked on. Everybody might be familiar with Plant Pure Nation, as he's the director of that, as well as the new documentary coming out soon, which is called From Food to Freedom. It's kind of a sequel, but it took a bit of a turn to a more personal story, which we're going to talk about a little bit into this episode. I just love the work that Nelson and his team do. It's a family business and it's a business of passion. So if you want to support, please go into the show notes, check out all the details of Plant Pure and really try and see how you can get involved. Okay, without further ado, let's go into this episode with our guest. Welcome, Nelson. Hi, Nelson. Thank you so much for joining The Green Life today. How are you? Pretty good. Yeah, it's... um. I guess uh, a lot of things going on in my life, but overall, it's it's good. Every day is a good day. Yeah, absolutely. And you're doing amazing work, which is what we're going to talk about today. Now, I don't think that a lot of people don't know who you are in the plant-based community, um, but I'm also reaching out to people that don't actually are, that haven't really embraced plant-based yet, and I want them to really understand um, the beauty of it. And the work that you've done has got a very appealing way to reach out to people that are not plant-based yet and really understand the impact on our health but also nature uh so should we just give people an introduction about who you are sure so um i i <laughs> i have been interested in this idea for quite some time and i can blame that on my father who's dr t colin campbell who did a lot of the pioneering research to validate the health benefits of this idea um, so I've been plant-based since I was in my 20s, early 20s, and started making the transition even before then. Um, I've done a lot of different things in my life, but for the last, uh, let's say, 10 to 15 years, um, I've been working on a strategy uh, that has led me to starting two organizations. One is uh, a, a foods business, Plant Pure. And the other is a nonprofit called Plant Pure Communities. Um, I also have produced a film called Plant Pure Nation, which came out in 2015. In fact, the film was used to help launch those, those two organizations. And we're working together now on, on a strategy to help get this the health, environmental, ethical benefits of a plant-based diet deeper into the mainstream. Perfect. Well, I had the pleasure of interviewing your father in uh, at the beginning of the podcast. Mm -hmm. was the best interview and I think it, it goes really well in tandem with what you just said and what you're doing and your mission because one of the things that I really appreciate about Dr. Campbell and you having seen your work is that you do highlight that 
people have to take responsibility for their health because sadly the system is not doing that it's not really helping people it's actually you know follow the money right so sadly it's not it's looking at interests rather than people well well-being so in in terms of uh, plan pure i mean obviously uh, i'm familiar with plan pure nation as a documentary i watched it when i had covid in 2000 and uh i was in there 2021 um so i was just in bed for a for a few days and so i was just watching all the documentaries and i i re-watched it and i that what really sparked the um the appeal of reaching out to dr campbell as well mm-hmm. um and i i you know i i, I just reminded myself wow there is so much work that needs to be done, but it really needs to be done at grassroots. And I, I, I would like you to talk about Plan Pure as um, the actual communities and the project, because I feel that that's exactly what it stems from and what it really stands for. Yeah, so, um, you know, this uh, desire to take a more grassroots approach goes back uh, many years. Um, I'm the oldest uh, of my siblings, uh, and so... I remember a lot of those years when my dad was doing his research and he was going through a lot of his challenges and he would, you know, come home and we'd always eat together uh, at dinner around a big table. And he would share a lot of information about his work. And I remember him, you know, being really frustrated um, with his efforts to share this health message with uh, people in positions of power you know, in the government in Washington. And he had a lot of people attacking him and, you know, a lot of challenges around that. But, uh, you know, going back to the 1990s and even 1980s, you know, I saw him dealing with, with that pushback and the suppression of this information. So um, when I had a chance to do Plant Pure Nation, um, I came up with a storyline that would help, you know, through that story, demonstrate to people or explain to people uh, how this message has been suppressed uh, for so many years. And I've got a new film coming out from Food to Freedom where I'm doing that again, but in a different way. Um, and so, you know, I just concluded long ago from all of those experiences that we really do need to take more of a grassroots approach. You know, we need to engage people in local communities to help share this message with their families and their friends and their co-workers. And and people will do that. You know, we found that when people, you know, shift to this lifestyle and they heal themselves, they just get so motivated and they want to share this with everyone around them. And so there's a powerful force there and we need to figure out how to how to better motivate, support, organize, inspire people to do that. And I think that's that's going to be key to building a plant-based world because, you know, it's not going to come from the top. Yeah. And so actually, um, I want to talk about documentaries a little bit more. But um, before that, what are the pods like? What are the communities like? Um, how many do you have in the U.S.? And are you also reaching out abroad? So say Europe, mm-hmm. um, what does the demographic looks like? look like? Yeah, so... <clears throat> Uh, as you mentioned, we have these local groups, we call them pods, because the idea is we're planting seeds of change in local communities. And we had a call to action at the end of our first film for people to start these groups and to join these groups. And people answered that call to action. And just prior to the pandemic, we we estimated that we had about 250,000 people who were somehow connected to this to, to these pods. 
and we have pods all around the world. Um, the majority of them are in the U.S., but we have pods in Asia and South Africa and the Middle East and Europe and um, and Latin America. So we we do have these uh, spread out around the world. And the purpose of a pod, first and foremost, is to provide uh, ongoing community support to people who are living plant-based and also to introduce new people as well who come in who are curious about a plant-based diet. Um, typically, our pods will get together maybe once a month over a potluck and people will come in and just visit and socialize. They'll post their, they each bring something and they'll post the recipe up on the wall. So there's always a recipe swap and people learning new recipes. Um, so that's kind of the immediate function, but we also are trying to encourage pods to do things in their communities, to become more activist. And so that's a part of our, our plan for the future. Um, when the pandemic came, we did take a bit of a hit because people stopped meeting. Um, so the pod network, you know, kind of uh, went into hibernation, but it's coming back now. So we're seeing a lot of people getting back together. In fact, just over the last three weeks or so, I asked our pod coordinator how many applications we had for new pods, and we had eight um, in that short time frame. So it's, you know, it's still growing and, and people, people seem to be getting a lot out of it. Absolutely. I feel like, um, this is uh, something that I've been thinking about to actually implement in Portugal as well, mm -hmm. because, um, we are in the North and it's a country that sadly is really rooted into, um, the meat consumption, animal consumption, but also, um, you know, there's not a lot of animal welfare here or even knowledge about it. So they don't look at animals as um, sentient beings at all. And the laws yeah. are, are really not supporting um, the improvements that, they, that that is needed here. So I find myself rescuing at the moment a lot of dogs, but we are looking to actually open a sanctuary to do more animals um, or different animals. And, and to do that, we have to also see how can we inspire people? So I'm thinking about organizing conferences, but the pods would also work because there, is, there are a lot of people that are more, um, they're interested in taking action. It's happening more and more. It's more in the cities like Braga, Porto, Lisbon for sure. Um, but, you know, we can perhaps just grab more people from the countryside as well. I don't know if mm -hmm. we're going to get the older generation are stuck in their ways, but, you know, the new generation is the future. So maybe that's a good thing. Um mm -hmm. So definitely, I think that the way the pods work um, are, are perfect way of introducing people to plant-based. And yeah. you also have a line um, of products that I talked to Kim about, so um, that she creates wonderfully. Um, how does the logistics work for that? Because obviously in the US, it's easy to ship the products if the pods want to use them. But how, how does it work internationally? Yeah, so that's really, the that's tough. Because, you know, every country has their own labeling requirements. And, you know, I wish we just had one set of standards around the world and we could ship, you know, ship food. And for the bigger companies, that's not a problem because they have the, the capital to, to uh, understand what those requirements are and to come up with, you know, packaging for each market. But we're small. So, uh, you know, we don't have the capacity to do that. So right now our food business is focused uh, in the U.S. But, you know, I have dreams of being able to expand that overseas, um, particularly a new line that we've been working on, um, which is a dry pack line. I guess probably Kim had talked to you about that. Um, that'll make it easy for people to live plant based. Um, 
But for us, <clears throat> our biggest issue has actually been funding and capital for both of our organizations. So, you know, we have big ideas for what we want to do, but, you know, it takes takes money. So right now we're trying to get the business to a profitable position. And uh, we think we've got a good chance of that this year. Um, and then that can help to sort of be an economic engine to support, uh, you know, some of the other things that we want to do. But um, unfortunately, money makes the world go round. And that's oftentimes why it's spinning in the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so actually, let's talk about the finance a little bit, because I think a lot of people are becoming more conscious about where they're investing their money. And, you know, I know that traditionally investments are looking are looked at having assets and a return that is immediate or at least short term. But we have to actually really realize that in this economic um, environment, our our investments need to be long term because eventually, and if we are investing in projects like yours, we're actually looking at the impact that it has on nature, that it has on our planet, and therefore we're creating this uh, circular economy that is separated from these big um, corporations which have run the world for a long time, as you said. Um, so in which way can people actually support so that whilst they're actually creating the pods, while they may be doing the communities, while they may be watching the documentaries, they can also support your business and to, into like, you know, growing because I feel like we need to put our money where our mouth is quite literally at, <laughs> at this point, um, but also actually become conscious uh, spenders. I don't like the word consumers because we don't, you know, it's not about consuming. It's not about getting things we don't need, but actually really investing into things that will add value to our, our lives and our, our, our future generations' lives. So yeah, if you can talk about ways that us people that are listening to this podcast can actually support you. Mm -hmm. Well, we do have... Um a couple of websites that people can go to. Um, one is uh, plantpurenation.com, which is for the foods business. I will say that that site is getting completely revamped. So we've got an old product line up there that has been phased out. So uh, that, that's going to be replaced soon with information on the new product line. But there's a contact us button there um, for folks who might be interested in the foods business. And then we have a website for the nonprofit, which is plantpurecommunities.org, plantpurecommunities.org. And again, there's a, a contact button there as well. So I would just encourage folks, if they have an interest in that, to contact us. Brilliant. Now, let's mm -hmm. go back to the documentaries. Uh, we, we are not going to talk too much about the new one. Um, I'm following instructions, but I do want to be transparent to the fact that you allowed me to watch it, and I absolutely loved it. And one of the things that, to me, really popped was... The first one was, as we mentioned before, a an awareness of the system and really exposing what your father had faced in his journey. The second one is a lot more personal, and it goes back to the what the points we made earlier: take responsibility because ultimately, your health, your uh, your job to do it, you know, to look after it. So, what inspired you to kind of tandem into that direction when you did the second documentary? Because you know, I would have expected when you mentioned that you were working on something else, that it would have been kind of like the first one attempting to go and uh, change policies again and trying to get the politicians to listen and do some work towards helping um, people have access to these kind of foods. So what steer you to another direction that is more personal than the first one? 
Yeah. Um, and um, I will share a, a, some tidbits on the second film. I just won't give away too much. It's kind of like, you know, our trailer. <laughs> we yeah. give away enough to get people excited to want to come watch it. Um, but I can share a little bit about it. So um, first of all, I should mention that the project that we feature, the story that we tell in the film, it's a story of a live-in, 10-day live-in immersion with a group of people who have type 2 diabetes. Um, that project, which took place in Greensboro, North Carolina, <clears throat> was supposed to be the first chapter of a bigger story that we were going to drive in New York City with a healthcare partner up there to launch a big campaign. <clears throat> but that didn't work because there were internal politics that developed in that other organization. And I'll just I won't go into the details or certainly won't smear any anyone, but I'll just say you know, the, it has a lot to do with some of the macroeconomic factors that I've addressed elsewhere. But anyways, that didn't didn't work out. So we filmed this project in Greensboro. And so then what we decided is we decided, well, let's let's turn that into a movie. And it kind of made sense because, um, first of all, I had always wanted to do a project like that, a live in immersion with people who, um, you know, had these serious conditions and to, and to demonstrate how we could heal those people quickly. But I thought it was especially relevant to do that today <clears throat> because of the pandemic. Mm. And, you know, you can make larger arguments about uh, food and nutrition, immunity, pandemic, the, 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 the you know, some of the um, the lack of communication that occurred during the pandemic around this idea. You can use experts and talking heads in a film to make those points, or you can use the kind of story that we created to make those points. And I think the story um, is, is actually a lot more powerful. But, you know, we followed these people through the program. And I'll just say, you know, that we, we do get some good results. And we use that as a springboard to make larger points about food and chronic disease and immunity and the way that we responded in, in the pandemic and the failure to get to communicate this information to the public. Um, by the way, we don't get into divisive issues like, you know, masking and shutdowns and vaccinations. We don't we only know that some of that was the standard response, but we don't render an opinion on on any of that because we want to keep the focus on the food yeah and at this point as you said it's very divisive and um even now that you know we have experiences um it is still the, the way it is you know people have chosen something and it's very hard to look back and have more of a detached kind mm. of opinion on things i'm trying to be very diplomatic <laughs> with my language but um so let's just say that you hit the nail on, on on its head, though, because one of the things that nobody talked about when all this happened is nutrition. You know, how are you feeding yourself and how many people were affected that had comorbidities and how what does that even mean? You know, that that's the thing. Like we, we just had this fear going around and nobody took responsibility because they didn't know they could. And instead, what happened is everybody was locked away at home eating poor diets um, for comfort and because you know food became their only friend some of them didn't even have a family to be with so you know your burger is your your bestie at that point and you know over time I mean a lot of um, people I know gained so much weight throughout the pandemic 
um, because they just didn't move, didn't didn't have good nutrition, um, didn't have the right mindset. That takes a toll, and you know that obviously has a ripple effect on our health later. Um, and none of the talking heads that we're talking about mentioned at once, you know, how important nutrition is. So that's very frustrating because it's just, you know, you don't care for people like you just want them to get sticker. So that's. Yeah. Well, as as you saw in the film, you know, one of the statistics that we cited and it's one that that um, became known early in the pandemic during the, the initial surge in Italy. Um, a study was commissioned and they found that uh, 99. some percent of the people who were dying had pre-existing conditions, mostly chronic conditions like, yeah. you know, diabetes and heart disease and hypertension. Um, and in the United States, uh, up to, you know, there's uh, some gray area here, but up to about 40 percent of the people who uh, who died from COVID here had diabetes, mostly type two diabetes. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, we demonstrate in the film how these conditions reverse, you know, not not within months or years, but days. And yet, you know, on the website that that the U.S. kind of the the the, the kind of the gold standard recommendations that were made by the U.S. CDC um, didn't even include the word nutrition. And, you know, every, you know, even those folks, they may not be as fully informed as say my father is on the power of diet, but they understand the connection between food and chronic conditions and the connection of those conditions to outcomes of COVID and to not even include the word nutrition in that list of recommendations. I mean, what, what is that? That's, that's just like the culmination of the big lie that's been going on for decades now. And it's why we need to, you know, we need to take a different approach. We need to take, we need to get this word out to people directly and take more of a grassroots approach to sharing this message. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I saw that Dr. Campbell is lightly featured um, in the documentary, but how, you know, uh, I know that he's not, he's not working full time anymore, um, but he's still quite active and he's still very involved into the decision making of, you know, the the course. And uh, I know your sister, you mentioned your sister is um, an activist, is working, she's also working in grassroots. Uh, I, I believe last time I talked to your father, she was in Dominican Republic. I don't mm -hmm. know if that's still the case, yeah. Um, so how does it all come together for Dr. Campbell as well when you guys get together and you think about, you know, how, how can what can we do next? How can we really empower people more and more? Because now we have the documentaries, the pods, the the course, and I know that different businesses separate from each other, but uh, some of them. But um, how do they all come together? Because it, this seems like a family business, which is actually nice um, because mm -hmm. everybody is joining forces to kind of share this, um, you know, vision. Yeah, I would say that, you know, we're we're each working on different aspects of a solution. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we actually don't uh, do do a lot with uh, my sister's organization, Center for Nutrition Studies. They've kind of got their thing that they're, you know, their strategy, which they're pursuing. Um, you know, we're we're doing something a little different with respect to media and and this pod network um, and going forward for us. Uh, media is going to be a big focus of ours. Um, I, I'm, I'm, we're going to put more more into that. We have another 
documentary concept that we've um, come up with uh, if I can get the funding to do it. Um, and then we want to produce short content that we can stream out that highlight uh, inspiring things that are happening at the grassroots level so that, you know, we can we can learn from each other and, and we can replicate successes. So that's going to be sort of our part of it is focusing on the media and the grassroots and CNSs, they have their plant-based certificate program, which we don't have anything like that, you know, so they they put a lot of focus on that. Um, my father um, continues to engage in debate, you know, with other researchers and trying to share his, his science and research ideas. So we're each kind of working on, you know, different parts of a total solution. I love that. The family legacy. Um, so actually, I need to ask about your family legacy then. Uh, you said you went plant-based in your 20s. Um, how long did it take you to actually move into a plant-based um, lifestyle after your father started sharing his research? Because I don't, you know, sometimes, um, especially when in our own homes, we don't necessarily listen to our parents or our siblings or family members that come up with, um, you know, discoveries because we take them for granted in a way. And I know your parents, when your parents changed their lifestyle because of the finding of your, your father, um, did you embrace it straight away or did you actually have resistance because now you had been living an omnivorous uh, lifestyle for, you know, for part of your life already? What was your approach with that? Well, um, <clears throat> we actually started making changes when I was in my teens. And so, you know, I really became a lot stricter about it in my early 20s. And then even then it was an evolution. You know, so you start with some of the junk food products and you get better and better as you move toward a whole food plant based diet. Um, but, you know, when my dad came home with this information, uh, we never really pushed back. I mean, we we just accepted it. And, you know, I. I was always fascinated by his work and I, I must be, I wasn't all that rebellious, but then I think my, my siblings also were pretty accepting of it too. Um, uh, one, one of the things that, that he did really well is he would, you know, like I said, we'd always eat together and sit around a big table and he and my mom always um, helped facilitate, you know, interesting discussions. And so, so during that, and some of my, 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 my greatest learning, you know, happened through that. That's why we should eat together, by yeah. the way. I don't know what's happened in our modern world. We, you know, we all get, get our food and go, eat, you know, eat by ourselves or eat, eat at different times or eat in front of the TV. But, you know, especially if there are kids in the house, you know, we should be eating together and, and sharing knowledge and having conversations. And that's what we did in our house. So, so we always, you know, we were sort of vested in my dad's research because we we understood what he was doing and kind of following along and respected it. So we never we never rebelled against it. Yeah, that's good. I love that. I love that what you said about, you know, eating together is so true. The fundamentals of uh, family lives are being slightly lost uh, mm -hmm. with children being um, nannied by technology and yeah. um, being pulled away from the family nucleus, as well as the attack on the family life by forcing parents to work longer hours and not have you know that kind of continuum. There's no the mothers mothers are not at home anymore as much. They have to work, and it's, mm -hmm. it's very complicated as a subject. It's very big as a subject. Um, this is something I appreciate about Europe. Um, it, being here, noticing that although women do work, 
they they do they take finishing on time at work very seriously i remember when i worked in london i, I used to be a banker um i you know my my contract hours meant nothing because sometimes we had to start at seven o'clock in the morning and then finish 11 o'clock at night if we had projects and there was like nothing you could do about it because the delivery what was the delivery uh of, of you know those deadlines and um you can't have a normal life which is why i never wanted to get you know to have children in london uh well i didn't have them here either but you know that was the reason uh why i i never really wanted to have a family in that environment um and i saw a lot of women struggling you know especially my colleagues who had children and they could not be at home uh for dinner and i think that is taking away people away from eating real food to begin with never mind the plant-based uh you know ed education approach but actually eating real food now we're going to the convenient food that is full of junk that you find in your freezer so people are getting used to these conveniences but also getting sicker and then it becomes a very vicious cycle um and this is actually one great thing that you guys are doing with these um food options that that are quick but also healthy they don't have the junk that you would find in most commercial products and i think mm -hmm. uh in a in a in the reality is people want convenience so it's a balance between cook real food from scratch but also help yourself with little tricks uh, that maybe facilitate your time management by having access to things that are healthier rather than you know the junk again so mm -hmm. that's powerful you know and i really hope that those products grow strongly that you can get them in supermarkets you can get them everywhere that it should be in people's faces really yeah, um, yeah because that's yeah, i think I, what we found is over the years and of course a lot of other people understand this as well you know the things that are most important to helping people sustain their commitment to the lifestyle is you know food affordable uh, healthy convenient food options um which actually it's we're still lacking um you know the the big wave of plant-based products that came out onto the market uh were all the fake meat products and the cheeses and the fake fake eggs and the mayonnaise and all of that you know um we, we still are lacking, you know, those affordable uh, whole food plant-based options, but that's important. The second thing that's important is that social support, which we already talked about with the pods. But the third thing that's really important, and this is a deep one, and it's what you were just referencing, it's the stress, the stressors that that, that affect us. And we do talk about this some in our, our film. You know, we catch up with the people who were in the immersion. And so, you know, we have a kind of a mixed bag of results. And you know, we see that there are life stresses that can make it very difficult for people. And so we have to figure out, well, where those stresses come from? And that's 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 a deep thing. You know, um, I personally think it has a lot to do with uh, our, our lack of connection to one another, our, our social connection and our obsession with oftentimes with work that's not meaningful and, you know, to, to oftentimes we're trading away the social connection for that that work. <laughs> and, you know, I think um, I always remember uh, and I've told the story so many times. You probably heard me say this in other other podcasts, but it's, it's just it's one of those things that I always remember. And that is, you know, my dad, he was going through a lot of pushback and, you know, he was it was getting so bad that. Uh, he, I think he was seriously entertaining the idea of just sort of quitting and, and dropping out. 
and because uh, he just could hardly take it anymore. And so we were sitting around the table and he said, how would you all feel if if I, I left my position and, you know, maybe we we didn't have some income for a while and we ended up living in a in a trailer and, you know, we all thought we, we were kids and and we all thought that was a great idea because we could all share the same bedroom and bounce off the walls. Um, but, you know, that's that's just one of those questions. Sometimes I think we need to ask is, is it worth it? Is 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 the is this lifestyle we're living worth it? You know, is it worth the stress and 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 these perks and, you know, the 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 the, the additional car and the the technology is it worth it so yeah. i think uh, as we said before it's about moving away from consumerism and actually understanding where you're investing um and what is necessary versus what is just frivolous um mm-hmm. one actually something that came from the documentary that i think we can we can talk about because it's not per se in the documentary yeah. but one of the lessons learned is one of the people that was in the immersion uh, kept on making references to how expensive it was to access in- insulin. And um, people, I think, take it for granted that if you are sick, it's not just your Medi- Medicare aid. I mean, I know the U.S. is a very different system from Canada and, and U.K. and most of European countries where it's social um, health. Um, but you they still like even if you have medicare you still have to pay extra for Mm -hmm. medication which in a case like you know people with type 2 diabetes that can reverse it um make it better it's um it's interesting because we are you know we focus on how much how expensive it is to eat healthy which doesn't have to be as we know but 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 like we're spending so much more money to get drugs so I'm sure that that conversation came up into the filming because I'm sure not all the conversations were actually captured in the documentary. How was that approach? What was the, the the goodness that you were sharing, the wisdom that you were sharing with the participant about managing their their costs and understanding that you know maybe investing more in food would be better than investing into medicine that doesn't necessarily make them healthier and doesn't necessarily make them feel better. Yeah. Well, certainly, you know, we talked about the idea of the cost of drugs. And of course, as you saw in the film, some of the participants shared those concerns as well and and how they'd been impacted. Um, So we did have those discussions. Um, You know, the one discussion that I think emerged that was really exciting to me, and it's embedded in the title of the film, From Food to Freedom, (laughs) is this idea that we have the power to take responsibility for our health. We can, you know, if we take responsibility, we can largely control our health. And what is that? What does that decision to take responsibility lead to? It leads to lower costs, le- uh, uh, reduced burdens, and greater freedom overall. And you know, this is something that we don't talk a lot about. <clears throat> it's almost politically incorrect because. You know, when we talk about this idea of taking responsibility, you know, that idea, it does sort of trigger some people in a a negative way because for reasons that we identify in our film, it is very hard for certain for people sometimes to take responsibility. You know, people have uh, all kinds of financial and economic and, and other stresses that they deal with in their life. 
And we all have to admit that when we're feeling that way, when we're under stress, you know, oftentimes you don't want to take responsibility. That's actually when you feel the most self-destructive. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's unreasonable to assume that everyone can just magically make a decision to take responsibility. So I understand it when people sort of react that way and want to push back against the idea. But the idea of taking responsibility is not the problem. You know, the problem is what what can we as a society do to help make it easier for people to take responsibility, to message, you know, to, to give people the proper messages um, and the proper support. But this act of taking responsibility <clears throat> is is so empowering and, and it is the pathway to freedom and, and not just with respect to our health, but every other aspect of our lives. You know, personal responsibility is a pre almost a prerequisite to freedom. And um, and so we, you know, we so we, we kind of make that point in the film. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Sorry, the other phone is making <laughs> Um, yeah, I absolutely agree. So I, uh, you talked about the, the challenges that can arise from obviously this path that your father faced it, whether it was through, you know, against the system or it was, um, with colleagues and so social is social life. Um, you are facing, uh, more challenges in a different way. Now people are more open to plan-based, but of course it's hard to, uh, raise funds to do projects that are bigger and more impactful, but, you know, you mentioned also living a life with purpose. Sometimes we have jobs that we really hate and um, then, you know, our life is just wasted away like that. And I can, I can definitely speak for that. When I left banking was the happiest day of my life. And, um, I, I just knew that I wasn't fulfilling a purpose. That was my, my path. I was just, you know, checking, ticking boxes, making my parents proud, making good money, and then not really living life. Um, so even with the challenges that you face every day, what is the most empowering thing about your your journey? And what is like, if you had to look back and, and talk to younger Nelson, what would you tell yourself, uh, you know, you've done it? Like, what, what would be your best achievement, the thing you're most proud of? Um, first of all, with hindsight, there's, there are things I would have done differently strategically. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things that we, we did, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to admit this because I'm always reflecting back on my past. And I think humility is the key to learning and getting better at what you do. But, you know, we made a, an, an early commitment to a foods business, you know, that was focused on, you know, just very, very healthy products. And that's turned out to be uh, very difficult. I think we were ahead of our time. Uh, I don't think that the market was ready for that. And that's so, so that's been, you know, a real point of stress and, and challenge for us. Um, and I'm not sure I would have focused as much on building a foods business <laughs> if I had to do it over again. Um, but in terms of what I've most enjoyed, I've most enjoyed uh, communicating uh, ideas to people, ideas that I think can help them see a bigger picture, maybe give them some inspiration that they can incorporate into their lives. Um, so I, I, I've enjoyed making the films, you know, our two films. I really, really like that. And I, I want to do more of that in the future. I want to do more communicating. Um, I like connecting with people through ideas. I don't I don't have any interest in building, 
you know, uh, superficial things like brands and celebrity. And, and I, I actually try to shy away from that, but I do, I do enjoy connecting to people through ideas that, that are meaningful, that, that I hope are meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I always feel that the best way to expand beautiful ideas is finding like-minded people. And I mm -hmm. think you're doing that, you know, it might take a little bit of time because we certainly are influencers and celebrity obsessed as a, as a society, but it's, it's really melting away, which is why mm -hmm. I feel like celebrities are trying to be more on Instagram and on TikTok because they really are irrelevant. And uh, the things that matter are the things that stick. So I think what you're doing is fantastic and I know you're pressed for time. So I really want to say, I appreciate every single moment you gave me and everything single thing you do outside um, your working hours. I'm sure you think about everything you want to do in your sleep. So I, I know how that is. The passion comes through and I just want to say, I appreciate it. And I know a lot of people are very grateful for your work. So thank you. Well, thank you Chantal for your, uh, your, your work as well in this field and, you know, doing a podcast like this and helping to share this, this information and um so thank you for for all you it's going to take it's going to take it's going to take millions of people working together to make this happen so yeah absolutely yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much for being here and i will speak to you very very soon and you'll continue to get our support and my support for sure uh so yeah thank you again all right thank you <laughs> bye, bye. Thank you so much, Nelson, and thank you everyone for staying on for this episode. I hope that although we had a very short time because Nelson is super busy, you got a lot out of it. And also, you learn more about Plant Pure and all the wonderful work that the communities do, that the films do. So go check out the show notes for every little bit of details about these journeys, these businesses, and how you can get involved and support. If we need to change the world, if we want to change the world, we need to start taking steps towards it. Disease is something that we can mostly prevent. So why not do it? Why not understand how to take care of our bodies? Why not create communities and support? And why not invest in our future? Okay, guys, I will see you next week here on the show. And as always, please do like, share, review the podcast so we can keep on growing. I'll see you then. Bye.